Welcome to Timandra Harkness Takes a Risk. This is my new podcast, and it's also a risk for me because I have made radio before, but I've always worked with somebody else who is there to say, "Mm, maybe we should do this instead, or that doesn't work as well as you think it does. And this time it is just me. So I'm finding out what happens if I go it alone with no safety net of another pair of ears. Every episode is a conversation about risk with a different person who has a different relationship with risk. In this episode, I'm talking to a scientist who's been studying the health risks of Chernobyl since 1992. I'm Jerry Thomas. I'm Professor of Molecular Pathology at Imperial College, and I've worked on Chernobyl all since about 1992, so looking at the health effects. And we're actually sitting in an office in Charing Cross Hospital at the moment. But not because either of us have radiation sickness. Not because either of us have radiation <laughs> sickness. <laughs> I just, I, I first wanted to come and talk to you because having recently been to Chernobyl, I actually got a bit of paper saying how much radiation I got by being inside the plant, which was, you know, the site of the worst ever. Is it the worst ever nuclear accident? It's the worst ever in terms of things that have been released to the atmosphere and in ter- certainly in terms of the effects on health. Um, because some people actually did die in, in fighting the fire. So, yes, in terms of that. Well, so, so because of that, I felt like, well, that was a quite risky thing to do. I was quite excited. I mean, you know, I was happy. We went into the exclusion zone, which involves a lot of paperwork and passing through some very retro equipment that measures how much radiation you've picked up. And we went right inside the nuclear power plant and about as close as a human can get to Reactor 4, the one that blew up in 1986... And I got measurably irradiated. And then I got a bit of paper and it, and it told me how much radiation dose I'd got. And now obviously I've got no way of measuring this. Can you tell me how much radiation I got just, just in the bit yeah. of the plant and, and what that actually means? It's 0.03 millisieverts. Now to put that in some form of context for you, a transatlantic flight is about 0.07 millisieverts. So if you were to go, like I did, to America, you get that dose. And I'm going off to Australia in a couple of weeks' time, so I'll get another dose very similar to that. Well, yeah, for the same radio series, because that was for Future Proving, which is available as a BBC podcast, all six series of it, from your usual podcast provider. For the same series, we went off to America and back, yeah. so that was four times as bad. Yeah, I mean, people, people commonly think that the amount of radiation that is still around in Chernobyl is, is large because they see the sort of pictures of, of devastated landscapes in the winter with, you know, rolling things rolling across in front of them. But actually, it's a really good place to go if you like wildlife, which should be telling you something. If the wildlife is thriving there, then the radiation is, is not causing a problem. And yet we walked around the woods and you know, the guides had Geiger counters that were beeping you know, all the time. We, we just stopped hearing it. it. You can walk around here and your Geiger counter would beep. You can walk around anywhere in this country and your Geiger counter will beep if it's one of the sensitive types that picks up for the radiation that's around. You're surrounded by radiation. You can't get away from it because the entirety of the Earth is radioactive. So it's in your food, it's in the water, there's uranium in seawater, for example. You just can't get away from radioactivity on this earth. So if you have a Geiger counter, you will pick that up. I, I kind of want to get a Geiger counter now. I just how, how much do they cost? Oh, I don't know. I, don't, I haven't got a Geiger counter. I don't carry one. <laughs> what? Call yourself a molecular biologist. Depends on the type. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's a Ferrari or a Mini. You, take your, you paid your money, you take your choice. 
All right. Well, what do we get wrong then when we worry about nuclear power? Because as you say, quite a few people died in the very short term when the accident happened in Chernobyl. And now they have a big exclusion zone where nobody officially lives, although people do. Uh, So what are we doing wrong when we think about nuclear accidents? We, We tend to think of radiation as being something special. It's not something special. As far as your body is concerned, it's just another toxin. And in fact, it's a toxin that we're used to in low doses. So because we're constantly exposed to radiation, and we have been since the year dot, and in fact, the radiation levels have probably gone down a bit because the Earth was more radioactive earlier on, it, we've likely to have developed, in fact, we know we've developed mechanisms that enable us to repair the damage that DNA does. So it's something that we fear because we can't smell it and, you know, and we can always measure it. That's the one thing we can do really well is measure it. And if you can hear something making an audible noise, it's going to scare you because you're constantly aware of it. Whereas if you don't have that Geiger counter going, of course, you can't, you can't see it, you can't smell it, you, you don't know it's there. So I think we've developed a fear, possibly because of the Cold War and people's fear about um, you know nuclear bombs, and I know certainly that plays into the German psyche an awful lot. So you can see that if people are confusing atomic weaponry and explosions from that, which we know is devastating because we saw that in Japan, with nuclear power, which is a completely different thing, they just happen to both involve atomic fission, but very different in a very different way, you could see why people would become scared of it. And I know from being a kid in the 60s and 70s, we were certainly led to believe that another atomic weapons explosion, another another war like that would virtually wipe out the life on Earth, including humans. So you can see where some of that fear comes from. But people think there's a lot of radiation released from nuclear power plant accidents, but actually very little gets into the environment. The majority of the heavy isotopes stay near the the plant itself, and what gets released is the volatile isotopes of cesium and iodine particularly. Okay, talk me through. I'm, I'm uh, very much, I'm not a physicist, I'm very much not a biologist. I actually got kicked out of biology at 13 for not being scientific enough. <laughs> so, uh, so you have to talk me in baby steps here. What are the different kinds of radiation that can get released and which are the ones we should worry about? We have three types, basically, alpha, beta and gamma. Those are the three that that we need to be worried about from a nuclear power plant accident. And alpha is a helium nucleus, so it's quite a big thing, okay? But actually, it's quite easy for that to be stopped by your skin or something like that. So alpha particles, as they're called, they're called the particulate forms of radiation, can, can be ingested and they can get into your lungs or into your, into your gut so you can inhale them or ingest them. And they can cause damage when they come into contact with you. But if, you can't, if you're not breathing them in or eating them, then they cause very little damage. Beta, um, which is an electron that's emitted from the nucleus, nucleus is obviously smaller. Um, they can, there are different speeds, so they have different energies, so it depends on which isotope you're looking at. But they, they can also interact with the various tissues in the body. But again, they really have to be ingested or uh, inhaled in order to do any harm. This is why when we went, they were quite insistent that we shouldn't eat or drink anything outside. Yeah. It just stops you getting contaminated. Although, to be quite honest, if the animals are eating everything that's outside, I'd find it a little surprising that humans can't get away with it as well. Well, our driver was smoking outside, and I did think that 
that was probably <laughs> kind of equally risky. Now, but anyway. Interestingly, if he smoked about uh, 40 cigarettes a day, a packet of cigarettes a day, uh, over a year he'd get about 10 millisieverts directly into his lungs from polonium-210, which is in cigarette smoke, which is the same thing that in a higher dose killed Alexander Litvinenko. So smoking is not good for you. But actually, it's not the radiation in the smoke that causes the issue and causes cancer. It's all the chemical nasties that are in there instead. So although people are obsessed with radiation, it's not as good as giving you cancer as some of the chemical carcinogens that we know about. <laughs> well, that's nice if you're looking for this year's top carcinogen. <laughs> all right, what about the gamma radiation? Then? Well, the gamma radiation is different from the other two because it carries no charge. Okay, so the others will get attracted by anything that's charged in your body. Of course, a lot of the way our chemistry works is it, we have charged molecules that, that attract each other. Um, the gamma is a waveform, a bit like an X-ray, so it will go straight through. And everybody thinks, you know, oh, gamma's really dangerous. But actually, a lot of your body, particularly mine, which is quite large, is space. So actually, a lot of it will pass right straight through and not come into in interact with anything in your body that's going to cause any, any harm. So gamma radiation, although people are frightened because it penetrates further, because it can go all the way through you, actually is not as bad for you maybe as getting a dose from an alpha particle where you've taken it into your body. And it, it's a bit like having a truck hitting your DNA. So, you know, it, you pays your money and it takes a choice, really, with radiation. It depends on the effect you want to see, which type of radiation you're going to worry about more. And what about the different substances? Because they were talking at Chernobyl about how how affected the areas were slightly depended on what was being chucked out by the fire yeah. and in different wind directions. Are there substances that are particularly bad? There, there are things like iodine and cesium, which are the volatile isotopes. So if they, they get into the atmosphere, they'll get carried away on the wind. And that's really what we've seen. You've seen the patterns after Fukushima as well of the wind direction altering where the contamination went. Those will come down onto the ground when it rains. So... If you had areas of high rainfall, you'd have more cesium and more iodine coming down with the rain. Now, the iodine short-lived has only got a, a half-life, a physical half-life of about eight days. Okay, So it can fall down on, onto the ground. It gets into leafy plants like grass. The cows eat the grass. Now, for us, that wouldn't be so much of a problem because our cows eat grass. Tanker comes along, picks up the milk, goes away, and we probably get it back from the shop at least a week later. So a lot of the iodine's radioactivity would have gone. But if you keep a cow in your back garden and milk it and drink it straight away, you're obviously going to get a much higher dose. And that's one of the reasons that people there got a higher dose of iodine, was it the fact that they kept their own cows. And many of them were very proud of the fact that when the cows were removed, they went and got them back and had them back within 24 hours. So, <laughs> but they needed them. Yeah. That was a, it's a staple of their diet, is milk. And so they needed them to survive. Cesium is a longer-lived isotope, so it's about 30 years of half-life. But interestingly, it has about the same biological half-life as iodine. So that's the time it takes a dose to go through your body. Because, you know, we drink and we eat and other things happen the other end. So, and that's how things transit through the body. So cesium is slightly um, is longer. It's got a 30-year half-life. But that's interesting because actually the dose it gives you is much lower than you would expect. So there's been a lot of work looking at cesium doses in the population in that area. And it looks over a 20-year period as if most people got about 10 millisieverts from cesium, which is the same as a whole-body CT scan, which is why we're not seeing the effects from cesium 
that we are from other things like iodine because the dose was much lower. Also, the cesium gets dist distributed throughout your body, whereas the iodine concentrates in one tissue. So all of these factors really matter when you're looking for a health consequence because you need to know the type of isotope, how much got into you, how much is actually emitted its radiation where, when it's been inside you, and where that radiation has gone. So if it's concentrated in a tissue and it has a short physical half-life and a longer biological half-life, chances are it's going to do more damage than something that has a long physical half-life, short biological half-life, and doesn't get concentrated in one particular tissue. Thinking a bit more generally then, uh, just, just thinking selfishly about risks to me as an individual, what would be the most risky thing I could do in terms of radiation? It's actually quite difficult to do risky things with radiation unless you're a patient in a hospital to give you some, some idea of the, the sort of dose ranges we're talking about. If, if we're going to give a breast cancer patient um, a radiotherapy sort of treatment for cancer, which is very good at curing their cancer, you're looking at giving them a dose of 50 sieverts, not millisieverts, sieverts. Now, we don't give it them all at once, and we don't give it to the whole of the body. We give it to a particular part of the body. We focus it, but we give it in fractions. We, we give it in smaller doses. But you still, over the total time, it's about 50 sieverts. My Chernobyl dose was 0.03 millisieverts. So a 50 sievert medical dose is over 100,000 Chernobyl visits, and 10 times the typical dose received by recovery workers immediately after the accident, some of whom died from acute radiation sickness. Radiation at Chernobyl just after the accident is literally on a different scale to Chernobyl today, or to the UK, where the average annual dose is 2.7 millisieverts, or to the USA, where it averages 6.2 millisieverts a year, which is 0.01 millisieverts a day. But, I mean, there are areas of the world that have high natural backgrounds. Ramsar in Iran. You have places um, in uh, Kerala in, Italy, in, in India. And there's somewhere else in Brazil as well where people just go and lie in radioactive sands. And they're a lot higher than our background. And interestingly, the two nationalities that are paranoid about radiation, the Japanese and the Germans... What do they do? They like going and sitting in radioactive spas. But of course, that's natural radiation. So it's not bad for you. Really? So some of those health spas where the water is supposed to have health-giving properties and be mineral and maybe comes out hot, it's hot because it's near some radioactive source yeah, underground. It's, it's, bubbling. it's usually the radon that you'll, you'll be exposed to. And in fact, in some spas in Japan, they actually advertise, we have more radon in here. We pump extra radon into it. Which, you know, but it's natural, so it's fine. Cornwall and Aberdeen and a few places yeah, in the UK I, I, have a higher yeah. incidence of radon gas, and it's, it's got a measurable effect on cancer rate, doesn't it? No, that's the whole point. It doesn't. It doesn't have a measurable effect on cancer rates. Even in the, the really high areas and Ramsar and places like that, we've got no evidence there's an increase in cancer because those doses are still quite low. Mm. I mean, they're still under the sort of sievert range that we use in medicine. So they're still really, really quite low. Um, and, you know, it's actually not a very good carcinogen. It just proves that point. At low doses, we are evolved to deal with it. Well, this is very annoying. I spent several pages of my book using radon gas as an example of small health effects on a population scale. So if you've bought Big Data, Does Size Matter? Thanks. And best take pages 154 to 155 as purely hypothetical. 
But it's good news, obviously, for actual human beings who are not getting cancer. And looking at human beings not dying, I'm curious about nuclear power being not only less dangerous than I thought, but less dangerous than other ways of producing energy. I've seen figures that say, look, if you look overall at how many human deaths per terawatt produced, actually things like coal are much worse because you think about people digging coal out of the ground, that's very dangerous. You also mine uranium, and that is also factored into the numbers for nuclear power. But even factoring in the mining aspect of it, it is still far less dangerous than other forms of energy production, even solar. People fall off roofs while putting up solar panels. Not they get poisoned by the panels, but they fall off the roofs. And wind turbines catch fire, and there was a horrible case of, I think it was a couple of Danish workers who were, were caught on top of a wind turbine when it caught fire, and it isn't very easy to get down in those cases. So there are, there are risks associated with absolutely everything. The good thing about nuclear is it's carbon neutral. So, you know, it's zero carbon, and, and so therefore... If we want to solve global warming, it would seem stupid to discount it on just on the basis of our, f- our actually unfounded fears about radiation. I don't like to say ir- irrational because everybody's irrational is slightly different, but they are really unfounded in, in terms of health consequences. We should be using an awful more, more nuclear power than we are coal power, not just for global warming purposes, but also for the fact coal produces three times as much radiation as a nuclear power plant because you're burning fossil fuels, which contain radiation. Well, so hang you're on, hang emitting on. more into the atmosphere. <laughs> OK, this is a new dimension. So a coal-fired power station is emitting radiation. Yeah, yeah, all the time, because you're burning fossil fuels. When you do that, you break these things and they, em- they emit some of the radiation that's a carbon-14, carboniferous fuel, you know. It contains some some carbon. Your body has got some potassium-40 in it. In fact, when you lie next to somebody in bed, which I'm sure you will do from occasion to occasion, you are actually irradiating that person to a small extent. How how many millisieverts do they get off me if I lie really close to them? You're asking me to have to look it up. Um, I think it's 0.01. At this point, I got very excited at the thought that three nights lying close to me are as risky as a trip to Chernobyl. Uh, But no. One year next to another human being gives you 0.01 millisieverts. So to get a Chernobyl equivalent dose, you would need to lie next to me for three years. Arguably terrifying in a completely different way. Why do you think we specifically fear nuclear power then as opposed to the others? I mean, you you suggested the, the link to nuclear weapons, but is it because we think, okay, it's fine until it goes wrong, but when it goes wrong, it's massive? Yeah, and that's another misconception. Everybody thinks it's massive, but was Chernobyl really massive? If we stopped thinking about it as a nuclear power plant explosion and thought about it as an industrial accident, actually very few people have died as a result of that industrial accident when you compare it with things like, you know, flooding when a hydroelectric dam bursts. I mean, that's horrible. Hydroelectric power is very, very safe. But that's another thing that when it goes wrong has really serious consequences. Yet we don't mistrust hydropower in the same that we do nuclear. It has to be something that's tied up in our brains with radiation, and I really do think that's come from nuclear weapons. How many people died then as a result of Chernobyl up, up till now? What's the best estimate? The figures are from, from Unskier, who you know, it, it has loads of scientists pouring over the literature all the time. 
28 people died from acute radiation syndrome. So these were the people who were there first, the first responders, the firemen, the people dealing with the immediate aftermath. And some of them got very, very high doses. Um, and we say the LD50, the level at which about 50% of people, if you give them that dose, will die is about five sieverts. I know one of them is still alive having had eight sieverts. So, you know, it's not a fast, <laughs> hard and fast rule. There were 146 people who got acute radiation syndrome. 28 of those have died. Two people died as a result of, of rubble and thermal burns because it was also a fire at the at the site itself. One person died of a heart attack, and I think I'm in great sympathy for them. I think I'd have been in a heart attack phase at that stage. And then subsequent to that, we've had probably about 11,000 cancers of the thyroid in children, those who expose as children. Not all of those were caused by the radiation. There is a spontaneous in, um, incidence of thyroid cancer that occurs naturally without radiation exposure. And we think probably about 25% of all of those cases were actually due to the radiation. Uh, thyroid cancer doesn't kill you. It's got a 1% mortality rate. So um, I think the best prediction we have is probably in about an 80-year period, we'd end up with 16,000 excess thyroid cancers. So if you extrapolate from that, you're looking at a 160 deaths, maybe, because we're getting better at treating things as well. So... At the moment, we've only had about 15 to 19 deaths since 1986 from thyroid cancer. So overall, we're probably you know, even extrapolating the people who were maybe exposed as children or even before birth. Eventually, we're looking at deaths probably in the hundreds rather than the thousands. Yeah, you're probably looking at around about 200 to 250. There is a caveat because some people think, well, the cesium must be doing something. And so people sort of postulated there would be deaths due to the cesium. We haven't seen that yet. There are cohorts of people who actually cleaned up the mess. So they had slightly higher doses than the, the general population. And it, at the moment, we are not seeing anything in those cohorts. And the last two papers have come out and said they found a non-significant increase. Uh, and it's a non-significant increase, increase in a type of leukaemia that we don't usually associate with radiation. So I suspect there's nothing really there. But you're only 30 years into those studies, and we've been studying the Japanese lifespan cohort, people who are exposed to radiation from the bombs, for 70 years now. So personally, I think the death toll will remain around about 200, 250, if that. What about the people that continued to live there? Because there seem to be people who just refused to move away. How, how were they different from the people that did move away, for example? Well, they don't show any other health effects apart from the fact they're living very poor lives in a very poor area. And, of course, we know socioeconomic deprivation also is not good for you in terms of health. I mean, they're suffering no ill effects of the cesium. We can, we can see that. They are predominantly older people. Um, and there is some evidence that, that, you know, like with the iodine, if I gave you or I a dose of iodine, we're far too old to have any health effects. There's not a bit of survivor bias, is there? That I, I go and I see somebody who's 18, fit as a fiddle, I go, there you are, but she's got three neighbours who all died at 55 or something. Yeah, and you'll probably find her, her um, husband has died from smoking or alcoholism as well. I mean, the, the, yeah, things are very complicated when you look at health. And we all know there's not just one factor that affects their health. If you don't have a good diet, if you're too fat, if you smoke, if you drink too much, if you drive your car in a stupid fashion, you're much more likely to kill yourself than somebody who's living a very fit life. But even then, that's not 100% guarantee you're going to live to old age. 
So no, there is no survivor bias. The, these are just ordinary people who've chosen to get on with their lives and live on their ancestral lands. And to, to them, that is much more important because you also have to remember your mental state plays into your health. So if you were forcibly evacuated and can't go back, as some of the things we've seen happen in, in the Japanese population, that's been very distressing, and we've had suicides because people just couldn't cope with that. So the psychological effects of the fear of the radiation are actually much worse than the radiological consequences of the radiation, and that's our fault for not being able to communicate that better. Nobody died at Fukushima from the radiation, but 2,000 people died as a result of the evacuation. And that was because the evacuation wasn't planned. People were literally put onto buses with no water, no medical help, because a lot of the doctors had run away um, and were shipped out. And some, because of the disruption, because of the tsunami and the earthquake, it took longer to take them to places. And so, unfortunately, some of them died on coaches as they were being transferred. And what people always forget is 20,000 people died in the tsunami. I mean, if anything happened in this country with that scale of death, we would never forget it. But it's almost as if the tsunami didn't happen, which grieves me because many families lost members in that tsunami. Uh, and the, most of that coast was wrecked. I mean, Sendai Airport, you know, throwing planes around as if they were, you know, sticks of, from lollies and things like that. So you can see the force of these things. But what does everybody think when they hear the word Fukushima? They think, oh, terrible catastrophe and disaster. It was an accident. We made it a disaster. How many people would have died, though, if they'd stayed put? None of them. That's the other, that's the other popular misconception. As, as with Chernobyl, what comes out is not as bad as people think it is. And it is arguable that you should not evacuate because the things that are going to cause you most harm are the volatile isotopes, so iodine and cesium. So if you stayed indoors with your doors and windows shut, like the advice given when we have a fire or we have a chemical accident, and just waited there until either people could evacuate you in, a, in an organised way if they needed to. But to be quite honest, the amount of radiation that comes out, providing you can supplement people with milk that is uncontaminated and food that is uncontaminated, then you might as well stay where you are. Within three months, all the iodine has gone because it's a short-lived isotope and the cesium doesn't seem to be causing us any problems. And that's what Japan did do. They did cut that food chain very quickly and that's why they have such low doses. But you could argue that maybe they should not have been evacuated. But you also have to remember that in Japan you had a tsunami and an earthquake. So you had huge infrastructure damage as well. Some of those people wouldn't have been able to live in their houses in any case because of the tsunami. But the fact that they were evacuated for the radiation has played on their minds. And they, they feel dirty and they feel ashamed. And they, in some cases, people at schools have been bullied because they came from the contaminated lands. The Japanese have a very cleanly orientated feeling towards life. And if they feel that somebody is, is, is dirty, that creates problems within society. Uh, and really and truly, the levels that we know that came out, they're not dangerous. They're, you know, they're lower than some of the areas that we talked about with high radiation backgrounds. So they could have stayed there. That's really sad. After over 20 years of studying the health effects of the Chernobyl accident, how does Professor Thomas think we should feel about radiation risk? 
I think we should be very much less afraid. I'm a toxicologist by background. Chemicals worry me. Chemicals don't have a half-life and disappear in the environment. Radiation does. We know much more about radiation and how it interacts with the body. I don't find radiation at low levels at all worrying. Otherwise, I wouldn't be flying around the world and doing things like that. So, But I really, I mean, I think we worry so much about this. And it's the same problem. We call it a psychological illness in other, in other contexts. If you worry so much about one risk that you then forget all the other risks around you, that in itself becomes a big risk. And I think that's exactly where we are with radiation. We've become so focused on what we perceive as the risk from nuclear power, we're dismissing it as a way of reducing climate change, which actually is a much bigger health problem to us than radiation will ever be. That was Timandra Harkness Takes a Risk. The music was improvised specially for the podcast by Johnny Best, which is in itself a risky process. And I'll be talking to him about that in a later episode. If you liked the podcast, I'm doing a live show at the 2019 Edinburgh Festival Fringe called Timandra Harkness Take a Risk, which is mostly a chance for the audience to play with me and with Lady Fortune and for me to have very little control over the direction the show takes every day. You can find out more and book tickets at takeariskshow.com. It's on at the Roxy downstairs at 11.15 every morning throughout the Fringe. Thanks for listening. Come back and listen to some more episodes. And if you like it, tell your friends. (music) 